0: I wanted to finish what I kind of started last night. Remember I told you about the guy who'd given that million? Well, because of what he'd done and went on to do even after that. By the way, we've been gone from that conference two years, and two years in a row now they've gotten over a million dollars each year. God has just raised up. The prayer team has just taken it on. God is blessed with a good leader who's doing way better than I did. And I suggested her. I like to take credit for it. <laughs> but, you know, so it isn't about Jerry and Janet. It's about God and people praying together. But this guy, you know, I, we took it on to pray for his business, his his stuff. And uh, he had this hospital in Las Vegas, a veterans hospital he'd built. I don't know... The total details all i know is the government backed out on him to pay him a dime for this thing was trying to leave him holding this huge building that's millions of dollars and so he took him to court and didn't win and my husband told me you know it it, he said to take it off your list it's it's not it's no good well i thought about that and i prayed about that and i thought lord this man's done blessing doing so much for evangelism and, and, and he, it isn't just that, he's done a lot around the world. And I said, God, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right, shouldn't we keep praying for this? And I just had that urge to keep praying for it. So we did, we kept it on our list, and I mean, we really prayed for it. When I talk about that evangelism offering, I'm not talking about that we prayed once and twice. We prayed a lot. We fasted and prayed. You know, the things I see where God moves Maybe once in a while it happens with one quick prayer, but the majority of time it's, it's a lot of prayer. I've started putting together from Spirit of Prophecy, just quotes, I haven't got it all together yet, but on pleading prayer. So much you hear people say, oh, we just, you know, we just need pray once and it's done. I don't know, I don't find it that way. I, I see a, a lot of miracles, a lot of things happen, but it's come from a lot of pleading prayer but also thinking, stepping out in faith and believing God's gonna answer. But the, so we kept praying and praying about this hospital and it was at least a year or so. I was in a, a Jamba Juice, you have Jamba Juice here? Well, I was in there getting a Jamba Juice and, and, and I see it's this man calling me and I didn't wanna answer because this loud rock music's blaring in this place and I thought he's gonna think, you know, what he's gonna think of me. But anyway, I finally answered it because, I mean, it's not normal for him to call me. And, And I said, hello? And he said, oh, Jana, God's answered your prayer. Thank you that you kept praying. I said, why? What's happened? He took it back to court again, got it to go back again. This time, the judge ruled the U.S. government in bad favor. It's the first time, according to him, that it's happened in history. It is such an amazing thing. He said it's going in the law books of history. Not only did the judge rule them in bad favor, but he said you're going to have to pay for all of this too. (laughs) You know, all the court fees and all the lawyer fees, all that. And, you know, he ends up with 16-some, I don't know how much millions out of the whole thing. But that's our God. God. You know, nobody can ever take credit for answers to prayer because if God's laid it on your heart to pray it, you know he's going to answer and it's all about him. He just gives us the joy to be a part of it. In Job 42.10, it says Job's captivity was turned around when he prayed for his friends. And I have found it so true through the years. My captivity has been turned around and washed away as I've spent more time praying for others, praying for God's work, for people to be one to the Lord. And I was speaking one time here in Oregon at a women's retreat, and this little pastor's wife said, "You know, our church isn't doing well, and, and and we just we don't we can't seem to get anybody in." And she says, "I'm gonna go home and try this prayer thing." She cleans the church once a week, and I, I saw her a year later at, a, at another meeting in Idaho, and she told me she she's vacuuming between the pews. She starts praying over every empty pew. <laughs> She says, Janet, God's filling it with people. <laughs> she says, I don't, we don't know where they're coming from, but these people are coming. But in a little tiny church in Chalcello, California, they live out, it's in the church is in the middle of farmlands. There's just nothing, nothing nearby. And they tried doing evangelistic meetings that nobody won. And one time I was doing a, a it was church ministries training and I was doing a prayer seminar. And this woman who happened to start praying in that church and she had some other women they'd join her on Sunday morning praying comes to it and she drags her husband in there and they're sitting there waiting for it to begin and I was up front and getting ready and I looked at this guy now I wouldn't normally do this if I didn't know you but I knew him well but I looked at him I said Ed you don't want to be here do you and he goes no I don't and I handed him a pen and a pad of paper and said take notes he says I threw it at him but I didn't, and, and, and he determined in his mind, I may sit here, but I'm not about to take notes. Well, I had to speak that day, a couple of, of, of uh, church elders and, and a pastor sharing what had happened in their churches as they united together and praying. And he sat there and thought, wow, maybe this could work. Maybe it could help us. Well, they, their pastor had moved, and so they were without a pastor for a while. So he being the head elder kind of had you know take over. So he started calling the people to prayer, not just this little group meeting on Sunday morning, but let's make prayer meeting a prayer time. Can you imagine that? Making prayer meeting a prayer time? Is that not a novel idea? A prayer time. They started doing that. And, and people started bringing friends, coming in to pray. And in church service, even church service, they started having a prayer time. People come down they they pray over them and their needs. But he also started praying, Lord, anybody new you bring, help us to know how to reach them. And whatever God said to do, he started doing with these people because God started bringing the people. They went from like 40-some people to well over 100. The last time I asked him, he says, I don't even count anymore, Janet. I don't know. He says, we don't know where they all come from. In their little church school that was dying, God's filled it with kids. You know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. You guys know this. But I hope if you're not doing it that you'll, don't just start doing one, but start praying, God, do you want me to? And if you do, how does it to look? You know, that, that's what I did when God was urging me, start a prayer group at the conference office. I said, but Lord, I meet in these groups and I pray. I don't need to do that. It's too far away. And just that urge wouldn't leave me alone. Finally, when I decided to do it, I had that peace. But I only would agree to do it once a month. Because I thought, it's too long, and three hours, that's the other thing I thought God said. But every time I'd meet and we'd pray, I just had this urge, you got to do it once a week, you got to do it once a week. So I finally told the little prayer group, we're going to have to do it once a week, or at least I am. They're going, we can't do this three hours once a week. I said, that's fine, I have to. And I can't encourage you enough, if God lays it on your heart, be obedient and do it. No matter if nobody else shows up, just be obedient to what God tells you to do. And for the, for the almost, it was, well it was, it was a little over a year, I was pretty much the only one there except once a month the others would come in. And, and, and it became a joke. But do you know God started bringing the people? Some big burly guys, That's kind of scary. <laughs> but he brought so many we had to move to a bigger room. That's our God, what he wants to do. And and it didn't always stay big. It went down for a while, and then it got bigger, and it went down. It kept changing all the time. Uh, The girl that took my place as a big promoter, she's got the place filled with people from what I've heard. God has his ways of what he wants to do. But we just need to be obedient to him and how. Um, Do any of you try prayer walking? Uh, When I talk about prayer walking, I probably should find a new name for that. I'm not talking about where you go and pray over territorials and cast out demons. I'm not talking about that. All I'm talking about is going around an area and praying over it. Praying for God to convert the people in the apartments, the houses. Praying for God to lead you to people to pray with. But there's nothing better in a community than taking out your members and going around that community to pray around the city and pray. You know what it does? It opens your eyes to what really God's trying to do and where he needs you to join him. People start saying, we need to start helping the homeless here. We need to start you know, doing this or that. It's amazing. But my comfortable way of prayer walking is you just walk down the streets and you pray, but you never talk to anybody, because that's hard to do. And yet I found, like in my neighborhood, As I get out and walk, I just pray for the people in their homes. God starts bringing them out of the houses to meet me. I tell you, some of my closest friends are my neighbors, and it's happened through them coming out as I've been praying for them, walking down the streets. Who do you have over to your house to eat? I hope it's not another church member. I hope it's your neighbors. And that's not easy. My neighbors don't like my food all the time. (laughs) But you know what? We've got wonderful relationships with neighbors from doing it in spite of the fact, you know? But so I was at this church. We're going to have 24 hours of prayer because they had evangelistic meetings starting. And they asked me to, you know, come be there with them and help them. And I actually fell asleep on them during the night as we were doing the all-night thing. Uh, That's embarrassing. (laughs) But uh, I tend to try to stay the whole night. It's better if you break it up an hour here, an hour there. But anyway, during the day... We we're going to go out prayer walking for an hour. And we divided up. And I was with these two young adults on this side of the street, and there were some other people over here, and some others had gone other places. So as we're going down the street, we're just praying for the people in these homes that, that are, live near the church, that they'll come to the meetings that are starting. And, and pretty soon the people over here come over to us, and they said, you know, this is okay, but we think we ought to knock on the doors and offer to pray with the people. And I'm going, "Oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Because I'm scared to death. People might yell at you, you know, <laughs> slam the door in your face, and I don't want that. Well, these two enterprising young adults go, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. <laughs> and so I'm going, now listen, listen, if we're going to do this, are you going to commit to pray for these people? You're going to have to meet once a week and keep praying for these? Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Okay. I said, okay, well, I've got paper. I'll let you go to the doors, and I'll just write down the request for you. <laughs> so that way, you know. I didn't want to tell them I was afraid. but So we're walking down the street. Well, these young adults said, let's not go to every home. Let's only go to the homes God impresses us to go to. I said, okay, maybe you won't impress them to go to any home. So we're walking down the street, and we go past the first house, and they go, we need to go to that one. And they turn around and go back. Now, this house has got bars on the windows and a barred, barred screen door, and they go they knock on this door or ring the doorbell and pretty soon this young adult woman comes to the door she does not open it and she goes what do you want and they said well we're from such and such a church we're just here wondering if maybe you needed prayer we would like to pray for you and she goes I can't believe you're here she said My husband's out of work, I'm out of work, we've been out of work for months, we're here living with my in-laws. She said, I just told my husband this week, we've got to get back to God, to church, we need God. They'd lost their home, everything. So they prayed with her. She then unlocks the door, comes out and wants to shake hands with us all. So that was the first door. So we go on down the street now. I'm getting a little braver and I'm starting to kind of lead the way. Because I "That, that wasn't so bad. Well, they, they decided they didn't want to go to the next house, but they wanted to go to the third house. Well, this third house had an open screen door, no bars. There was a light on, and it's kind of inside this little porch. There's bushes around. And well, I'm leading the way this time to go up on that porch, you know, and we get up there, we knock on the door, and all of a sudden, you hear this noise, this woman. Just this big, huge woman goes, stop. What do you want? I'm telling you, I jumped off the porch behind the books bushes. I was scared to death. And they said to her, and one of the, the young adults, he was a little guy, he goes, uh, we're here from such and such a church, just wondering if you had something you want us to pray for. And she goes, yeah, you can pray for me. You can pray for my whole family. My son just died yesterday. You know, that first house, They're out of work. They lost their home. The second house, the son had just died. So they prayed with her, and she just melted. She said, I know God sent you here. God sent you here right now. Thank you, thank you. What church are you from? Unfortunately, we had no flyers, nothing, to show what church we were from. But they prayed for her. She came out, wanted to shake everybody's hand. So then we go on down the street, the next home that we went to, it was another, uh, this, a young adult, and the guy was kind of slow getting it out, what we were there for, and before he could even get it out, she says, no, I'm not interested, and she shuts the door. But she was nice about it. She didn't yell, shut it nicely, and so that was okay. Well, I looked at my watch. I said, oh, we've got to get back, it's because new people are coming in for the next kind of prayer time we're doing, and I thought, you know, we got to go back. Yeah, it's time to be done with this. So I'm leading the group, heading back to the, to the church. And as we're going down the sidewalk, the driveways are short. It's not real far to the houses. And there was a garage door that was open. And there was these young adults. There was music. I don't know that there was music playing, but there was these young adults sitting around in this garage. Well, this one young woman in bibbed overall, she comes out, gets right in my face and says, hi, what are you doing? And I go, well, we're prayer walking. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, and and she goes, you're what? And so I said, well, we're we're prayer walking. And the the people behind said, yeah, we're praying with people. And the guy sitting in the garage says, you need to go pray for that family. Their son just died. And we said, we did pray for him. And this young adult guy, Josh, says to him, how can we pray for you? And this, this kid, young guy sitting in the garage, he's holding a bottle. And he looks at that bottle and he goes, there's no hope for me. I've tried. He says, there's just no hope for me. And Josh says, yes, there is. I've been where you are. God saved me, delivered me out of drugs and alcohol. He'll do it for you. Can we pray for you? And he goes, pray for me? Do you mean now? And we said, yeah, now. And he says, well, do I have to pray? I said, only if you want to. And he says, well, okay, go ahead. And so this time, normally we had one person pray at the door. Well, this time, all three of us prayed because we were so moved by this guy. And when we opened our eyes, he was crying. Tears were in, in his eyes. And he goes, what church are you from? Where? Tell me where it's at. Do you have AA meetings? What kind of things do you have going on there? We had nothing to show him what we had at our church. I'm telling you, I felt like God was just slapping me upside the head going, Janet, I have a world out here that needs to be reached. Will you get out of your shyness? There is a world. Who cares if they slam the doors in our faces? They need us to reach out to them, to love them. The best way in my neighborhood where I was living in in California there, it was to offer to pray with people. And we're finding it true where we're at now. We're, We're in a Jewish neighborhood. Uh, but we've you know 've already taken the people out to eat, or uh, that 's safer for me than having to cook, but <laughs> we have had people over a lot but um, but prayer is the one common denominator that seems to you know open the people 's hearts and helps them to know you care about them and what he does in in a church where where um, you know, not many kids. They started going to the classrooms and praying for God to fill those chairs with children. I'll never forget the woman. And it was at least a year they prayed this. But she comes just beaming to me. She said, Janet, she starts telling me what they've done. She says, our church is full of kids now. We don't even know what to do with them all. But just those kind of things. But it, it was also in another church. The elders of the church started meeting on Thursday night. And they started doing that in their church, going around and praying over the classrooms, and God started filling their church with people. I don't know. I'm sure you have stories you could share too. In Michigan, it was in their their union paper. In a little church, they had down to 14 members, and a, a, a guy that was there at the seminary. He, he happened to be one of our pastors we'd sent to the seminary. He took that on, you know, to be his church to minister to. And he goes there, and, and so they had a little meeting. What are we going to do? We're dying. And a lady raises her hand and goes, I have an idea. And they said, what? She says, well, I read this book by Evelyn Christensen, What Happens When Women Pray. I'm wondering if maybe we ought not to pray for God to bring us members. And they go, oh, that's, that's a good idea. Let's try that. So they started meeting and praying. They started praying, God, what do we do to reach this community? You know what God led them to do? They started going in fours around the neighborhood, two to the door, two on the sidewalk, praying while the two went to the door. And they would go to the door and offer, can we pray for you? We've got a group that's meeting in our church. We'll we'll meet and we'll pray for your requests if you want us to. People started giving them requests. They would pray for those, and I don't know if it was after a week or two weeks, whatever, they'd go back to the door, knock on it again, and say, we're here, we've been praying, is there anything new you want us to pray about? Do you know out of that, people from that community started coming to that church? And God also led them to other things to do, but between people coming from the community, and what he led them to do, they went to over 69 people just convinced that we need to spend more time praying and asking God, where are you working? How are you working? How can we join you? Instead of trying to find what we should do. I I don't know how you've experienced it, but I had a, um, a guy come to me as I'm headed into Sabbath school, and he said, Janet, you'll never guess what happened to me this week. And I said, what? And he said, oh, Sabbath school's starting. I'll tell you afterwards. So I had to sit all the way through Sabbath school waiting to find out. And he, after Sabbath school, I come up to him. I said, tell me, tell me. He says, oh, wait, wait a minute. And he goes, talks to somebody. And he keeps making me wait. Finally, he tells me. He said, he said, you know, I'm a builder. And I said, yeah, I know. You build homes. He said, well, my wife always has one of these honey to-do lists. <laughs> and he says, I hate it. He said, I'm a builder. When I come home, I don't want to fix nothing. I just want to relax. And she's always got these lists. She nags me. And he said, but this week, this week I got this urge to fix everything I possibly could. And he said, I fixed everything I thought I could. But then she said, I mean, he said, it, 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 I couldn't figure out what else to fix. So I asked my wife, is there don't you have a list somewhere, something, things you want fixed? She said, yeah, sure. She goes and opens a drawer and pulls out this list and hands it to him. So he fixes everything he could before the end of the week. And so on Friday, when it was getting close to sundown, he stopped and he he took a shower and and, uh, he was sitting relaxing in his easy chair. His wife comes up, gives him a big hug, and tells him, thank you, thank you for all that you've done this week. And he says, oh, oh, you're welcome. And she said, have you noticed that I haven't been nagging you for quite a while? And I don't know if it was three months or six months. I'm thinking it was three months. And he thinks and he goes, yeah, you're right. In fact, I had to ask you for the list. She said, yeah, I, I put it away. And he said, what happened? And she said, I started praying for the Holy Spirit to nag you. Listen to me, church members. We don't need to nag or criticize or judge or tell other church members how they need to look, how they need to dress, how they need to eat, how they need to do anything. We need to pray. Pray. God will take care of that. If God gives you the vision, the eyesight, the discernment to see this person's got a spiritual problem, it doesn't mean you're to gossip about it. He just wants you to pray about it. That's true if your mate starts growing in the Lord. Your young adult, your teenager, they start growing. I do not believe that God wants you to come in and start telling them everything they're not doing right. God wants you to pray. The Holy Spirit's perfectly capable. Jerry and I learned a few years ago that we needed to do that with each other. doesn't always, we don't always do it, but most of the time we do it and it works so much better to just pray and let God work with their lives. I um, have to tell you more about this story of the evangelism offering. You know what that first year it, it went higher. Well I'm not sure if it was that year or the next year, but Jerry was whining around ahead of camp meeting. And not and during camp is camp meeting's about to start. I, I come I've been praying with the, the group, we've been greeting people as they arrive, praying with them. That's another thing. We you we were praying for God to to compel people to come, to urge them to come. And you stand there and greet them and you pray with them as they arrive. And I can't tell you how many times, and I love to ask, especially young adults, why did you come to camp meeting? And I can't tell you how many times I've had them go, I, I don't know, I just had this urgency to come. I mean, they'll say the exact words you've been praying of why they came to camp meeting. But so I go back to the cabin, and Jerry was there working on his talks and stuff for that weekend, and he's sitting there whining. And Jerry's not a whiner. So this is unusual. He goes, ah, oh, they're making me call for the offering again tonight, Friday night, for evangelism. And then Sabbath morning, and he says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one to ask for money. He says, I'm a pastor. I don't want to deal with money. Well, I heard him carry on about this more than I cared. And I said, oh, you, Jerry, it's no big deal. I said, God's going to do this. And I said, I'll do it. I was not serious. <laughs> Jerry immediately goes, great you do it tonight and i'll do it in the morning and i'm going ah, but unfortunately i have a problem with pride and i could not let him know i was kidding and so suddenly i'm stuck i've got to do this thing tonight now i am not believe it or not i am not an upfront person and i'm not one that's good with you know words you know that by hearing me talk and i'm going what am i going to say what am i going to do well i quickly changed clothes and went back over because we were going to meet as a prayer team to pray before the meeting began and I go, and I'm a little bit late. I get in there, and I just fall down in the middle of this prayer group and going, you got to pray for me. i got to get up front and ask for this offering tonight. And they're going, praise the Lord. And they, they, <laughs> they surrounded me. They put their hands on me, and they prayed me up. And so I'm going, Lord, what am I going to do? And I'm waiting for the meeting as I'm supposed to go up. And what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I just don't know how I'm going to do it. The only thing that came to my mind was ask the people to pray how much they should give. So I get up front, and I'm up there, and and I thought, i got to say something before I say that. And so I just say, you know, my mom and dad are getting old. I don't want them to die. I want to see Jesus come. Don't you want to see Jesus come? Would you pray and see what God wants you to give for the evangelism offering? (laughs) So I said, we're going to have a time of prayer now. (laughs) And so I'm standing there at the pulpit, giving them time to pray. When this urge comes over me, why don't you ask me how much you should give? And I'm thinking, "Uh uh-uh, no. Jerry's always given our offerings, and he he decides all that, and and he, he gives a large amount, but it's comfortable. It's comfortable. Now, I had a camp meeting starting. When I'm dusting the bookcase shelf, I have this urge to pull off this book called Stewardship. Have you ever heard of it? And I start to pull it off and look at it, and I know God's about to tell me something, so I slam it and put it back on the bookcase because I don't want to hear. Now listen to me. I'm married to a preacher. That is enough sacrifice. I could have married a surgeon. And I don't think I need to sacrifice with offerings. I'm a pastor's wife. It's not easy when you live on one salary. And I thought, you know, that, that's enough. But then I'm dusting again, and there's this other book and I have this urge to pull it off, and I pulled it off, I start to look at it, and it's about the same topic, and I immediately shoved it back, because I knew something was happening, but I didn't want to deal with it. And so anyway, now I'm here at Camp Meeting, I'm up front, telling them to pray, I get this urge to pray, and I'm going, oh. I said, okay, what do you want us to give? And just this huge figure comes across my mind, and I'm telling you, I literally thought I was going to pass out. I started shaking, and I'm holding the pulpit because I'm going, "There's no way we can't do that. There's no way we got kids in school. There's no way." And I close the prayer time, and I'm trying to walk off the stage, and I'm just shaking, because I mean, if God said it, you got to do it, right? And so I go off, and I sit down, and I can't. I just can't say anything to, to Jerry about it, and. By the time I got back to the cabin that night, he was already in bed, because I have another prayer group. We pray a lot at our camp meeting. And <laughs> so by the time I got back there, he was asleep, and I'm going, thank you, he's asleep, because I didn't want him to talk to me about it. The next morning, God has me up early, and I'm just arguing with God, God, I can't do this. You know we can't do this. We don't have that kind of money, there's no way. And where does he lead me? Start reading the word, but he leads me to, nothing's impossible. <laughs> And the, the thing in Luke about the woman who, um, if she believes, you know, good things happen. I can't remember exactly how it went. But I knew God was saying, you've got to do this. Well, Jerry, normally in the past, if I have some big idea about giving a bunch of money or something, it's OK, Janet. Yeah, well, we'll think about it. We'll pray about it. That's the end of the conversation. It's never brought up again. It doesn't happen. you know. And, but this time, Jerry says to me, Janet, what did God show you last night when you asked us all to pray? And I'm going, Jerry, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. He says, he starts following me around. Janet, you got to tell me. What did God show you? What did he tell you? I said, Jerry, you don't want to know. And he kept after me. So finally I said, okay, Jerry, I'm going to tell you. And I knew he'd start laughing or pat me and say, that's okay. So I told him. And he goes, Janet, if God told you that, we got to do it. We got it. I said, Jerry, we don't have that kind of money. We don't even have that much in savings. We don't have that kind of money. He says, well, we'll sell our furniture. We'll sell stuff. I said, Jerry, nobody would want our furniture. It's it's hand-me-downs. It's bargain basement. Nobody's going to want. We have nothing. And he goes, Janet, if God's told you, we got to do it. And he's handing me that pledge envelope. Well, I had to get over to the prayer group. We're meeting early in the morning before church begins. And... So I'm headed out the door, and my little boy, who I thought was asleep in the living room area of this little cabin, I I go to him. I said, Zach. He goes, yes, Mommy. I said, Zach, did you hear what's going on? He says, yes, Mommy, how could I not? I said, Zach, do you know what this will do to your life? I said, Zach, if we do this, you're not going to be able to do this and this. It's going to change your life. What do you think, Zach? And he goes, Mommy, if God told you to do it, you got to do it, Mommy. This is my little kid. So I went over, prayed, we, you know, did pray together, whatever, but I still, church time did not turn in that pledge envelope. Jerry kept after me. Are you going to turn it in? When are you going to turn it in? I didn't turn it in until the afternoon. But I want you to know that by March, can't mean it's in July, by March, God had brought in every penny of that money. And then we couldn't even begin to tell you how it happened. Jerry came to me one day just rubbing his head, going, Jana, I don't know what's happened, but we've got this extra money in our bank account. And I'm going, are you sure? He says, I figured it and refigured it. We waited a little while to be sure. But, but I'm telling you, just different ways the money kept coming in. And other people have the same stories that have gone on this journey. Well, camp meeting comes. Well, it, you know, so much money came in that year, pledged that everybody thought it was a wonderful idea to get little Janet up there again, or big Janet, to ask people to pray again. And so I do. I I get up there and just ask them to pray again about what they should give. But this time I'm thinking, we gave so much last time, there's no way God will want us to do that again. But again, God's telling me to ask, and I do. And this time he doubles it. He doubles it. And I said, this time when Jerry asked me, you know, what did God tell you? I said, you tell me what God told you. I'm not talking about this. So you (laughs) tell me. So he, he, God ended up showing him the same amount. And I need to cut it short. But this journey has gone on year after year, and he doubled it that second year. He doubled it the next year. He doubled it again. Literally for many years. We have been giving, between tithe and offering and evangelism offering, half of our income. How do you do that? We could not in any way on paper show you how it happens. It just happens. I was a stay-at-home mom. I was told when I was a little kid and on up, you're a pastor's wife, you're going to have to work. You have to work. You cannot get your kids through college. You have to work. A pastor's wife has to work. I felt compelled to stay home with my kids. And God kept providing. God has given us cars. He kept providing. We didn't have much. We still don't. But we had our family and, and but, but you know, as the kids got older, God started pulling me into ministry and somebody started donating, actually a couple of people started donating for me to get some income. And that was a blessing. But do you know what happened with all that income? God kept having us give it back to him. We didn't get to keep it. (laughs) But you know what? One year, this had been going on for a while, and we're renting, and they sold the place. We had to move, and, and God provided this brand new place for us to move into on three and a half acres. Gorgeous home, and affordable rent. But I'm starting to think, I'm having my worship, I'm thinking, you know, if we had all that money we've given over the last couple years, we could buy new furniture for that house and do, do this and that. And to make a long story short, some church members suddenly have this urge to help me decorate my house because I don't have the ability to decorate. On a scale of 1 to 10, I have a minus 2 on the <laughs> test, on the tests they take. And so this one woman gets this urge. She calls up some of her friends. Hey, Janet's moving to a new house. Let's help her decorate. And they're saying, I am telling them, I don't have any money, I can't afford to do this. And they're going, we'll, we're great, we can decorate with what you We got. I said, I don't have anything for you to decorate with, trust me. We can do it, we, we're creative. So they come to my house, and I'm telling you, I've never seen such depressed, sad-looking women <laughs> as they looked at what I had. This is in the house before I moved. And they left very quiet, very sad, and I'm embarrassed to death that I'd let them see, and, but you know what happened? This is embarrassing to me too, but they still wanna decorate, they wanna do it, and I'm saying, I, I don't know how you're gonna do this. They said, just let us do it. Well, we had to go to 3ABN for uh, f- filming right after we moved our, our stuff into the house. So we moved our stuff in the house, our son still stayed there, and we went to 3ABN. Every time I called home to talk to my son, we're, we're gone for three or four days. They answer the phone, 10 o'clock at night. And I'm going, what are you doing? Going through my journals, my files? Why are you still at my house? And they go, oh, we're just, you know, just trying to get it done before you come. When my husband and I came, they were not there. It was nighttime. But the lights were on. My son's there opening the door, smiling at the door. And we walk in, and I am so embarrassed. Because I'm not good at accepting gifts. There in the living room is a brand-new couch, a brand-new chair, and just these gorgeous decorations in the living room. Our bedroom, new, new be- bedspread, comforter, just all these new decorations and things. The house looked beautiful. And I'm embarrassed because I think, did you know, I don't want people doing this. But you know what happened? These people went back to their church. They thought maybe people might give $10 here or there. But people took it on and said, oh, no, let's, they started giving larger amounts. And that's how it happened. But it's like God was telling me, Janet, Janet, I'll take care of you. You just do what I want you to do. And I'm telling you, I can't wait. If I get to live to be 92, I hope Jesus comes before that. But if I do, when I turn 92, I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book of what happens when you are obedient to what God tells you to do in your life. It does not make sense what we've done. Everybody says you've got to build up a big retirement plan so you've got at least a million or so when you retire. We've got nothing, but we've got Jesus. We've got Jesus. And you know what's happened with my sons? It's one of the best things in the world them watching their parents give. Yes, it's caused sacrifices in their life. Can't do everything or have everything. Of course, we couldn't to begin with, but you know, it's even tighter. They give like we do, their wives they do, they pray, ask God. I mean, it scares me they give such large amounts. They pledge, you can't do this. Mom, leave us alone, this is what God said. And God does it over and over again. I am convinced that we as God's people, one of the biggest problems we have is covetousness. And I believe that it's keeping us down where we are in Jesus from coming. And I've always thought, well, you know, Jesus may not come in my lifetime. Why should I sacrifice that much and give? I don't know if any of you felt that way, but the way the signs are right now, he's coming, he's coming. And there's people who own land and houses and they cannot get rid of them right now. It would have been a chore to move. I'm not saying everybody go sell your house. I'm not saying dump out your savings. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is, Pray about everything and let God lead you how you should look, give. But in Proverbs thirteen seven it says, There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, and yet he has great riches. Luke six thirty eight Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I can't tell you how much our lives have been blessed all these years of giving. It's been incredible. I would not trade it for anything in the world or for what it's done for my kids. Our God, our God is just amazing what he does. I don't know how you feel about your life, about you, but I just, as, as we get near the end here, have you ever read Matthew 1? Do you find it boring? I mean, I've reread Matthew a lot. When you're trying to read through the Bible, become an expert on Matthew, right, or Genesis, or the book of John. and But Matthew 1, I heard a preacher preach once, pointing this out, and it's just amazing to me. Because I don't know how you are in your spiritual life, but as God started working on me and, and changing me, I'd have these haunting feelings, thoughts, as I'm trying to do the dishes or whatever. You're rotten, God could never save you. You're just, you know, just all these bad things haunting me about my past. And God led me one day to write down that I had accepted him and put it in my Bible. And I started going to that. And and whenever I had those feelings saying, on this day I accepted Jesus Christ, I am his child. And today, Lord, again, I confess my sins. Lord, I, I want the blood of Jesus over me. I want to be your child. And, and that and, and praying every day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit has really helped me to see I am God's child. He loves me. He loves me. And those texts in the Bible that talk about the perfect, the perfect ones, I used to get discouraged reading those, thinking I'm not perfect. But God helped me through the Holy Spirit to see I am the righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you are secure in that love of Jesus, it makes you want to be obedient to him. It makes you want to love and serve him with all your heart and your life. And, but you read Matthew 1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah, and his brothers. I mean, this is kind of boring, right? But then read verse 3. It says, Judah begot Perez and, S- and Sarah by Tamar. And I may not pronounce the names right, forgive me. Do you hear what it says, though? Judah begot Perez by Sarah by Tamar. Do you know what it's talking about here? Ju- Judah's daughter, because her husband died and he wouldn't, one of her sons wouldn't marry her. She sits beside the road, disguising herself as a prostitute, so that when Judah goes by, she gets him so that she can have a child. Well, Judah stops and, and does this thing with her. She gets pregnant, and he finds out she's pregnant, and he says, you know, have her stoned or whatever, kill her. And But she has a, I don't know what it was, that shows that he was the one. THIS IS IN THE GENEALOGY OF JESUS CHRIST. YOU GO ON DOWN. IT GOES ON. YOU GO TO VERSE 5. IT SAYS, SOLOMON BEGAT BOAZ BY RAHAB. BOAZ BEGAT OBED BY RUTH. DO YOU KNOW WHO THESE PEOPLE ARE? RAHAB, THE PROSTITUTE? AND RUTH. RUTH COMES. DO YOU KNOW WHO SHE COMES FROM? THE MOABITES. THEY ARE THE WORST PEOPLE THERE WERE IN WHAT THEY DID WITH THEIR RITUALS AND THINGS. This is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You go on down to verse 10. Hezekiah begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Ammon. Do you know who Manasseh was? Turn to 2 Chronicles 33, I think it is. Verse, uh, chapter 33. Manasseh. On down in the second verse it says, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. On down verse six, also he caused his sons to pass through the fire. He sacrificed his babies, his sons on the altar. He used witchcraft, sorcery, consulted mediums, spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him, God, to anger. He even said carved images, and, you know, it goes on, all the bad stuff he did. And then you go on to to 9 and 10. 9, it says, so Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom God had destroyed before the children of Israel. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains, the, the army of King of the king of Assyria. And they took Manasseh with hooks, which from what I understand is hooks in the nose, dragged him, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. And now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before God of his fathers. Manasseh, this proud, arrogant guy that scorns God, does all this evil, brings everybody to evil, suddenly he's in the pits. And he's crying out to God. If you were God, what would you have done? Yeah, if I were God, I'd tell him, forget it. You know, you, look at how bad you've been. I'm not, and you, I tried to talk to you, and you weren't wouldn't, you wouldn't doing it. But what does it say? He prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Isn't that amazing? All that bad and wicked stuff, and yet God listened to him and accepted him back. You go on down to verse 16, and it says, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. This is all in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's just incredible to me how much our God loves us and what he's done with his son Jesus for us on the cross. And I don't know, that, that has just been so much encouragement to me to read that, to realize how much God loves me. But I don't know how you deal with the sins in your life. I had um, this one particular sin problem that I won't tell you about that I struggled with. I loved doing it. But I knew that it was causing me problems and a separation from God. And I just, I knew I needed to quit, but I didn't know what to do. Well, I got to thinking about the encounter with prayer that Juanita does and thinking about that verse in First John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I started doing that. I don't know how it is with you, but I have with some sins, have asked God to forgive me at least 100, a 1,000 times for the same thing. And it's like I'm afraid to even go to God again and ask him to forgive me because I've asked so many times. And it's, and it's just, you know, how can he forgive me again? He's got to be angry at me because I've asked so much. And yet that verse says, if, if we come to him and ask forgiveness, he, you know, he forgives us and he cleanses us. So what I started doing is every time I did it, instead of avoiding God, I just started coming to God, Lord, I've done it again. Will you forgive me? I confess it as sin. I don't want to do this. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me from all unrighteousness? I did that many, many times, but every single time I would do that over and over. One day I tried to do this sin and I couldn't. I just literally shuddered and just, oh, I can't do this. And then I got scared because I always enjoyed this. I want to do this. I could not do that. I just, it just repulsed me. I am convinced that what we need to do is spend that time with God every day. Focus on Jesus' life. If you want to be effective in your prayer life, Spend that time with Jesus. Hide God's word in your heart. Be obedient to him. Your prayers will be effective. As you pray God's will, you can't demand your own thing. You know, we could go into a whole thing on that. But coming to Jesus, to keep coming to him, you think about it. You lose your job. Don't go and eat a bunch of chocolates or a bunch of junk food. You know, something bad happens to you, you get discouraged, somebody's hurt you, or, or you had a bad day at the office. Don't sit down and watch a bunch of movies or TV or whatever, or drink alcohol or do drugs. Whatever is your escape mechanism, don't do that. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. In, in John 6:35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. In, in verse 37 of that chapter, it says, The one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. He will not cast you out. John seven thirty-seven. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Revelation three twenty. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes and hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, dine with him, he with me matthew eleven twenty eight. 28 come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest isn't it incredible i'm telling you it works you keep coming to jesus keep asking forgiveness keep asking him for deeper repentance ask for a hatred for that sin lord make me willing for you to put a hatred in me for that sin it happens it works We did not own a TV. I made my husband promise me when he married me we'd never own a TV because I'd grown up with that, and I was absolutely addicted to those things. And so he agreed to not own one. So we did not have one. But then got into uh, conference work, and he's traveling all the time, and I'd go with him with the kids traveling, and we're in motel rooms all the time. There's that TV staring at you. And I'd get the kids to sleep as soon as I could and I'd turn that thing on and watch all the stupid garbage that came on that thing and wake up in the morning absolutely disgusted with myself and just this craving in my house. I'm trying to do all the stuff you do and i just constant craving, thinking about movies and wanting to watch and, and I didn't even own a TV. And one day I knelt down by my bed and I said, Lord... I don't want this controlling me. I want to know you. I, I, don't, I don't want to be like this. Lord, you've got to take away this craving. It drives me nuts. And right then, just that faint thought was, the next time you're in a motel, do not turn on the TV. And I thought, oh, okay. And as I got up walking out of that room, again, do not ever turn it on again. So I didn't. And I told my husband, I, I, can't, I can't turn them on anymore when we're in a motel. So he says, OK. So we, we didn't turn them on. The craving absolutely left me, totally gone. And I don't know if you've ever had that for anything. It's just absolutely controlling. But it left me. And, and, and it was such a peace, such a relief that I was afraid to ever sit down in somebody's home where there was one on. But you know what? God's totally taken it away. And I stay in motels a lot alone for the last several years traveling. There's these huge TV screens now, not the little one. I never have an urge to turn that thing on. This is our God, what he can do in our lives. But not to get discouraged if you fail again. Just keep coming to Jesus. How do you come to Jesus? Read about his life. Take Desire of Ages, Steps to Christ, the Gospels. Read about Jesus. Read about what he did for you on the cross and say, Lord, make it real in my life that I'll love you so much that I won't want to sin against you. I won't want to hurt you. You know, I I don't have all the answers. I am by no means perfect, but that's just the little something that I found that's made a difference for me. In Oregon, back when I shared how, when my life started changing, where people were praying for me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God just puts the right people in your lives. By the way, you read Mark 5? Mark 5 about the demoniac and how they come up on the shore. Jesus casts the demons out of the demoniac. And Jesus leaves because the people don't want him to stay because of the pigs going in the lake. And as Jesus is getting in that boat to leave, the demoniac wants to go with him. He's been healed. Wouldn't you want to go with Jesus if you'd been healed? I'd want to go. But he tells him what does he tell him in mark five stay you stay here and tell what god's done for you the guy stays now does he know all 28 fundamental beliefs all he knows is what god's done for him when jesus comes back to that area you go into mark six you read it you can also read it in peace be Stilled in desire of ages when jesus comes back steps on the land and they recognize that it's him they start coming from everywhere, the people coming to Jesus. In, in Ellen White, in Desire of Ages, she said thousands started coming to Him. She goes on to say there that for each one of us, that's all God's wanting us to do, is to share what God's done in our lives. The best witness that you can be to this world is to share the alive God and what He's doing in your life. And what is the best way to do that? It's to journal. WRITE DOWN THE THINGS GOD'S doing IN YOUR LIFE. WRITE DOWN THOSE PRAYER REQUESTS. WRITE DOWN THOSE ANSWERS. AS YOU DO THAT, YOU'LL HAVE BLESSINGS AND SURPRISES START HAPPENING, AND YOU WRITE THOSE ALL DOWN. AND THAT BECOMES YOUR TESTIMONY, YOUR WAY MARKER THAT GOD WILL USE THROUGH THE DAY TO HELP PEOPLE TO GROW IN HIM. BUT THAT IS THE MOST POWERFUL WITNESS THAT THERE IS. BUT YEARS AGO IN OREGON, Ruthie JACOBSON CALLED US UP AFTER WE'D BEEN TO THAT FIRST PRAYER CONFERENCE and she knew all that was happening in my life, and God is so blessed, that women's retreat. She calls us up and says, you've got to come. We're having a special prayer conference that's to pray for the Holy Spirit. Well, God worked it out so we could come, and we're there, and, and all they're doing, you know, is praying. And, and I kept, and they'd have testimony time, right, to begin with, and they'd say, anybody have a praise? Well, I was not brave enough, enough to ever say anything, and Ruthie kept saying, Janet, get up and tell Tell what God's done at your retreat because a lot of people here were praying for it. And I can't do that, I can't do that. Nobody wants to hear what's going on with me. And I I wouldn't do it. And you know what happened to me there? I started getting depressed again, miserable. I felt like God wasn't with me. I started crying out my worship one morning. Lord, where are you? And God made it clear through his word. There's not time to show you. But in in Psalms 40, I was reading that day that I needed to share the praises of what God's doing in my life. So I said, okay. This is the last morning they're meeting. If there's time, I'll do it. And I'm sitting near the front here. The speaker says, is there anybody who has a testimony or praise? I jumped out of my seat. (laughs) Scared the guy. Came up so fast. And and, and I just quickly shared, I just want to thank everybody for praying here in Oregon. God so blessed our retreat. We saw so many miracles and I sat down. (laughs) I'm telling you, I was scared to death to talk to people and to ever talk to people up front. And at that, at that time, that last time, they said, anybody who has a need for the Holy Spirit, that really wants us to pray for the Holy Spirit in their life, come forward. And so everybody, of course, comes forward. Well, I came on the outside of the group because I'm, I'm having this urge, have them pray for you. Have them pray for your shyness. And I'm thinking, I can't do that. They don't want to pray for somebody back east. These are Oregon people. And, well, you know, because we all have needs. And so I'm on the outside of this group, kneeling there, praying and i and i started crying i'm just crying god god could you get ruthie to come pray for me ruthie knows me she knows how scared i am would you get ruthie to pray for me i kept praying and praying this privately i suddenly sensed somebody getting up and walking in among all these kneeling people they come over to me and they put their hand on my shoulder somebody over here then put their hand on my shoulder and they started praying for me it was a male voice And this man starts praying for me, for God to to bless our work in Pennsylvania. And then he goes on, and Lord, would you baptize Janet with the Holy Spirit and give her the ability to speak? I asked him afterwards, later I said, whatever gave you the urge to do that? And he said, I'm telling you, I had this urge to go pray for you for 10, 15 minutes. It was Kurt Johnson. And he said, and I didn't even know him that well. I'd met him there, but that was it. He said, I just had this compelling urge. And he says, I finally had to give into it and come pray for you. I didn't know you needed the prayer. <laughs> but that's our God. That's our God. He's got a journey for each one of us Amen. that is special. That, that's Whether you're cleaning toilets or whatever you do, God's got people. He wants you reaching for him. He's got a ministry. And I, as we close... I would just love it if we could come forward and just fill this stage, the stage down here, whatever. You don't have to kneel. You can stand. You can sit. You can sit. I said that. Whatever. Because <laughs> I don't want your knees to hurt. But let's pray for the Holy Spirit on each one of us as we go home. Because I believe, and don't you, God's hungering to reach. There's so many people dying around us that need to know Jesus.